Now, before I get into this sermon, I'd like you all to repeat a few words after me. Uh, I know we're Episcopalians, but I believe you can do this. So here we go. Arr! Arr! Very good, that was excellent. Shiver me timbers. I'll make ye walk the plank. Well done. Uh, Outstanding. You are now all fully prepared for a major event on the global calendar. Wednesday of this week is International Talk Like a Pirate Day. It's true. The 19th of September. For the simple reason that it's fun to call someone a scurvy rat. This important festival was started in 1995 by people with far too much time on their hands named John Bauer and Mark Summers, and it has gained momentum like a Spanish galleon in full sail. According to the website talklikeapirate.com, it has become so popular that they have issued guidelines for how to celebrate the day in the workplace. Uh, For example, you need to wear red and black, and don't be afraid to accessorise with an eye patch and a parrot. And given the celebration on Wednesday, it is fitting that today we have read a passage about ships from the letter of that old sea dog, St. James. Not a Spanish galleon, but the ship that is your life. Not a vast ocean-going liner that is controlled by a tiny rudder, but lives, families, even communities and nations that are directed and changed, damaged or blessed by something equally small. The tongue. The human tongue, says James, has frightening power to shape lives. The tongue, quote, is a world of evil. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of their life on fire. Splice the main brace, me hearties. Jesus says that the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. So we don't really have a mouth problem, we have a heart problem. If there is love in our hearts, then kindness, compassion and healing will come out of our mouths. If there's bitterness, prejudice and arrogance, then that is what we'll spew when we talk. Tie yourself to the mast, there's a storm coming. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by humans, says James, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, if you are a teacher, or you work in education in any way, or if you train people as part of your career, or if you give no formal teaching but still shape lives as a parent or grandparent, then there is a sentence in that reading from James that probably smacked you in the face like a salmon. His opening words... Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
How do you like them apples, teachers? I do not think there is a profession that is more criticised, less appreciated and more underpaid than teaching. Did I hear some amens there? (laughs) And as if that were not enough that society undervalues teachers, now apparently the Bible is having a go. Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And yet, I have no doubt that every person here can immediately name a teacher who changed them for good. Not just by making their subject interesting or by passing on useful information, but because the quality of their life taught you deeper things. They modelled integrity, instilled disciplines, ignited dreams... So I have some good news for teachers. Dig below the surface of James's words and you find not a grave warning, but a profound appreciation for your calling. Don't wish to become a teacher, he says, because it is an awesome responsibility. What a teacher says has impact. The words of a teacher create things in students, hopes, Beliefs, values, ideals. These are the things we build our lives on. And yes, says James, if you want an easy life, if you are happy to settle for merely showing up at work and doing an adequate job and then going home again, if all the drive and vision you can muster is to follow a path that makes average demands on you, draws out average quality from you, and exerts average influence on others, then don't be a teacher. Only the brave will find their true calling here, implies James. Only true public servants may apply. The words of a teacher have power to inform or mislead, to build up or tear down, to shape a life for good or for ill. But all words matter. We all have power, whatever our profession. Words in scripture create, they bring order out of chaos and healing to God's people. Let there be light, thunders God in Genesis. And there is. Be still, demands Jesus to a storm. Be opened to the ears of a deaf man. Get up to a dead girl. Come out to Lazarus lying in his tomb. God's words have power. And so do yours. James challenges all of us to examine our speech. I came across a mnemonic to help me keep a filter on my mouth. It is in the form of THINK, T-H-I-N-K. Five questions to ask myself before I speak. The first question, the T. Is what I'm about to say true? Or is it just a rumour or mere speculation? Or is there a basic truth to it that is undermined by exaggeration or being taken out of context? Second, the H. Is it helpful? 
Is it going to benefit someone? Does it shed light or does it make a problem worse or even create new problems? Third, is it inspiring? Is the person I'm talking to going to have their eyes, their souls, their imaginations lifted as a result of what I'm about to say so that they see good in other people or have their mind filled with positive thoughts and their heart encouraged? Or will it cause them to lose faith in people or the God who created them? Fourth, is it necessary What I'm about to say may be true, but do other people really need to hear it? And last, is it kind? So I've learned my lesson from this, and I'm never going to talk again. (laughs) Or even better, I'll let my parrot do the talking. Pieces of eight, anyone? But before we hoist the Jolly Roger, glug down our rum and count our Spanish doubloons, let me tell you a parable. And in the way that Jesus never explained his parables but left people to ponder them for the rest of the day, so after this parable, I really will stop talking. The town square of a European village looked like a blizzard swept through it. Villagers woke that morning to find it clothed in white. Not quite the uniform blanket knitted by a fresh fall of snow, but a more patchwork covering with large holes of grey cobbled street and brown brick poking their heads through the shroud. It could not have been snow. After all, it was June and the morning sunshine had brought the temperature to that exquisite point where it was just right for sitting on a doorstep or running through a meadow or propping up the wall chatting to a neighbour. Children hurried outside and threw the white stuff into the air and at each other, getting it stuck in their clothes and caps and hair. Mothers shook their heads and grumbled under their breath as they tried to pick it out of their baby's bedding. Delivery men cursed and wiped their feet against their livery trying to rid their boots of it. The village matriarchs scrubbed it off the walls and picked it out of cracks. The old men sat at their windows muttering about that crazy priest and how he must be behind this cascade of white. It was just the kind of thing that Father Mario would do. The previous day, he had received a visit from Fabrizio. The young farmer was crestfallen. He shuffled into the priest's front room, cap in hand, and stood staring at the floor, moving his weight nervously from one foot to the other. Too ashamed to look up at the padre and too remorseful to accept his invitation to sit down, Fabrizio mumbled that he had sinned and wanted to confess. The burden of guilt was too much. He had talked out of line, with malice in his heart, spread gossip about his brother and destroyed his reputation. In that small town, words sprout legs and run from house to shop to inn to barn. Mario had heard many confessions in his time as the conscience of the village and had always dreamed up a penance that perfectly fitted the moral lapse. 
The penitents, who were handed the task of making amends, accused him of cruelty and sometimes threatened to report him to the bishop for his unorthodox ways. But in truth, they knew deep down that Mario's penances fitted their crimes to perfection. The wise pastor listened lovingly but firmly to Fabrizio's heart, rubbed his chin, adjusted his glasses, and he told him that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, whose patience had been tried by the grumbling of his children in the wilderness, knew very well the temptation to use words as a weapon and how devastating the consequences could be. But he also knew that the God and Father of Christ was merciful even to those who deserved no mercy. Mario paused, rubbed his chin some more and pronounced a penance that had Fabrizio scratching his head but which was perfect for his sin of gossip. Go home, he said, and take every pillow in your family's home and a knife. Then, when the sun has disappeared and the town is asleep, go into the square. With your knife, slash each pillow. Then run through the streets, waving them, throwing them into the air until all their feathers are free. And then tomorrow, before sunrise, get up, return to the square and collect all the feathers. Amen.